great. But here's what he did. Rhyme it. Do you know how to rhyme it? Oh, please just rhyme it. And he really gets into it. Do you know how to rhyme it? Yes, of course. We will you don't even have to think about it. So let's rhyme it today. Rhyme it. Yes. We are going to do rhyme it. Just what's up everybody welcome back to another episode of rams brothers i'm your host dean and today i'm joined by jordan rodrigo of the athletic and if you don't know now you know or you should Jordan works for The Athletic as a Rams reporter and beat writer. And let's just say she's the weight-bearing wall of the Rams <laughs> media representation. She's the Aaron Donald of Rams reporting. Jordan, happy Friday and happy St. Patrick's Day. How are you? Oh, my God. I'm blushing like crazy. You know what? I was asking Rich Hammond, my podcast co-host, um, this the other day. I was like, how would you feel if someone called you a weight-bearing wall? <laughs> like, I... Like when you said it, it felt very nice. But yeah, like, yeah. if Les called me that, I I would feel kind of like large, like like sure. hefty. You know what I mean? If he if he can't if he said you know you're a weight bearing wall, I'd be like, oh, you know, is it time to to diet a little bit? But yeah, yeah that's... <laughs> no, I don't know, Les. What other lessons can you throw at me? I know, right? You never know what you're going to get with him. <laughs> yeah, you really never do. You never know what you're going to get with this uh, Rams's 2023 roster. It seems like as well. So there's a lot of burning topics on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. And I know this may not be one of the biggest burning topics, but we're going to jump into some questions here. The offensive line, Jordan, it feels like it's been uh, it's been neglected over the past couple of years. And we just saw that Coleman Shelton signed a two-year deal worth up to $8.75 million, base value of seven or $4.75 million, $3.75 in guarantees, $2.7 mil guaranteed at signing in the form of his 2023 salary. And then $2 million in incentives in both years. Jordan, do you know what those incentives are by any chance? Are they keeping Matthew Stafford alive? <laughs> vertical? Keeping yeah. him vertical, maybe? Yeah. Um, yeah, so the incentives would usually be based off of um, injury or performance. Um, certain amount of games started could be depending on position even because there's not really a clarity yet on whether he's going to be playing guard or center. I think he's their best option at center. Um, yeah. But one thing to note too is all those are cash. So we're going to talk probably some today about cash versus cap and all of those types of things. And those incentives, the bonuses, um, guaranteed at signing, those types of things, those are all cash. His cap number is like 1.7. So that's, yeah. So that's um, obviously makes sense for the Rams. And then it sounds like he has a void year opportunity in 2024. So this is something where, um, you know, he was a former, uh, I think it was restricted free agent, but he controlled his void because he qualified for that via his his other deal. Um, and so he qualified to sort of null the void year on the la- on his last deal and become a free agent, which ends up being good because you know it ends to maybe more of a multi year opportunity. But he's going to have, I think, some empowerment based on how he plays whether he wants to proceed with that, you know, that year in 2024. And if he doesn't, you know, that's a, an empty year to put more money into. So I think this is how you're going to see in 2023, if the Rams do these veteran deals, this is what 
they're going to be doing is years, very cheap and years that sort of are structured this way for sure. Something that's going to be lower than a $2 million cap hit within that first year. Yep. Totally makes sense. So you said something in there that I thought was really interesting that you think he's a better option at center. Mm -hmm. What does that mean for the life of Brian Allen? Is he somebody yeah. that they could potentially cut previous to June 1st? Or is he somebody that could linger after that June 1st date? So the Rams will save $4.5 million toward whatever midseason expenses they might incur, which are were many last year. If you think about the roster churn they had last yeah. year with depth players, they ended up spending like $10 million um, on just like bringing people up and down from the practice squad because it's a different contract structure. So um, they will need that money. And so to me, a post-June 1st cut for Brian Allen does make sense because of what it opens up. It also means that they could potentially see, um, you know, what their draft board is going to look like. I do think that they will look at this position in the draft, but you never know again with this group kind of, and you never know how the board is going to fall either. Sure. Um, and, and to me also, I want to make it clear, like it's nothing against Brian. I think that if he could stay healthy, dude's a hell of a center if he can stay healealthy but he can't stay healthy that's the problem and McVeigh loves him right he talks about how he's a Matthew dog. Stafford loves him yeah, yeah they, sure. he he's been great for them in, in a lot of different ways and his personality his presence his tenacity like they love all of that the problem is you just have to be sure with that with a guy who you're going to be putting at center about all of the various ailments that have kept popping up the knee has been an issue had to have that thing drained a couple of times last year and and I really, I do feel for him because this was a job that he battled for and won and things looked really, really promising. It's just that knee has been such an issue. And I feel for him because, you know, I know him and talking to him, it's just, you know, you hate it for a player who goes through something like that because it's out of their control. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the Rams, this would be the smartest thing, in my opinion, to take their time with deciding his future. And if they do think that um, Coleman and then maybe a potential draft pick or an acquisition somewhere else, um, could maybe be a better option at center. Um, they are, they do have the option post June 1st with him. Yeah. And you need to potentially fill the right guard position, right? So mm -hmm. as a tentative starting lineup, what do you think of this considering, I know you just reported this morning that there was some good news in terms of a team source reporting that all the linemen are expected to be ready to go by training camp with the exception of possibly Joe Nofum due to the nature of that Achilles injury. Would you opt to potentially start Alaric? at left tackle versus no boom as he's coming back from injury. Yeah, that's what I would do. Um, yeah. Alaric Jackson, I think, you know, when we talk about the Rams not necessarily investing in their offensive line, I do push back on that just a tiny bit. Like sure. I don't, I do think they've missed on some things. And I also think that Big they time. handed out the wrong contracts last off season um, in terms of the, the O-line deals that they did. But I, in that, in that time frame, I do kind of understand why they were pressed to do it. But like this to me, the, those were where maybe the the wrong investments were made. Um, sure. But in terms of some of their fines, like Coleman Shelton is an undrafted free agent. He's a fine. And Alaric Jackson, that's a heck of a, a fine in limited snaps so far. But he did get an endorsement too from Andrew Whitworth, who's seen every practice snap this guy has ever taken as well. And so I think that when you combine those two things and you also, Alaric's got this presence about him, he does not rattle. Like, um, Rob Havenstein would say, uh, you know, it, he seems like, you know, an old man almost because he just doesn't rattle. And it's like you walk by him and he's like, Joe, cool, like smoking a cig on the sideline because he's just too cool. Like he, he does not he doesn't phase. And so yeah. you, you do need that in your left tackle and you need sure. a little nastiness. And I think he's got both of those qualities. Um, I think he's technically very sound. I think he's really gifted. And so 
those two players, I think you can really, you really got something on your line. And especially if Rob Havenstein comes back um, healthy at right tackle, he played through a bunch of injuries last year that people never knew about. And basically was the only one who was consistent on that line the whole year. So um, yeah, I, I do think that Alaric is their best chance at left tackle. I think in the short term, you could see even like Tremaine Ankrum filling in at left guard. I think that they're going to try Joe Noteboom there once he's healthy. And then I think Coleman Shelton at center and then right guard. We really have to see what Logan Bress is capable of. And they're super high on Tremaine Ankrum as well as a swing as a swing guard, which is important when you're talking about your game day actives and how limited your roster spots are. So um, I know I answered way more than just that one no, question, no, but that that is what I see in terms of the O line and then depth depth guys. You know they've got guys returning from you know these injuries that they are optimistic about that they, they've got to see what they have. And so while I don't I don't disbelieve that they'll address the position of the draft. They always could and they should to me at mm-hmm. center. Um, but I also think that some of their depth guys, they are really, really high on. So a new, of, new offensive line coach, um, a guy who's kind of known for, for being steady and developing players, worked under um, Aaron Cromer in Buffalo. I think that um, they're pretty optimistic about what they have so far. Yeah, I'm excited about Teen Wolf, Ryan Wendell, to come into the building. I know. <laughs> He's got a great, he's got a great, he's a very hairy out. man. Yeah. He's a very, very, very hairy man. I'm, I'm trying to grow the beard out like that eventually. Um, no, I'm just kidding. It's too much. Um, I'm curious about if they try to follow the Trayman Akram template, right? Cause mm-hmm. he was a player that was developed in Clemson as a left tackle. He was a swing player. They developed him. And the only thing I'm worried about too, is if you, maybe if you bring back Andrew Whitworth onto the staff, I know that he had the sign off on Joe Newboom. When they had the elephant, they were rolling out the elephant packages and the jumbo packages, and Noteboom was shifting over to left guard. I think it was in 2020 and 2021. Um, so I'm curious if you have Noteboom sign off or you have Whitworth sign off on Noteboom, you have it on on uh, Alaric Jackson, you have it on Trayman Akram. Like I'm wondering what kind of template they try to follow in order to bring some more of that talent into the building. If it's a late round, I'm thinking sixth or seventh round, you potentially look for that type of player. Yeah, I like the. I- his name is escaping me right now, but I like the center out of Penn State too. Um, someone, our our friend, I will probably remind me like as soon as this posts. Um, but like it, it, it's, I think that he's. That's maybe around the the round that you could really look for a center. There are some like sort of sneaky good centers in this draft class. Um, it's not to me so far in my very early dip because you know things are a little bit busy over here. But um, in my very early dip into deeper into the draft, um, I do think there's like some sneaky good, maybe not as good as as last year, or the year before, but some sneaky good um, center interior. And like when I say center, you know, you probably want that guy to also be able to play guard because now yep. they're between a rock and a hard place with Brian Allen. Because in a perfect world, you'd kick him to guard, but he doesn't play guard. So you know, now you're sort of looking at s- someone who could do both because you know they will be developing maybe into a larger role full-time, but as it stands right now, any job they would have to compete for. So I, I do think that you're looking at someone with a little bit of that versatility, but you're also not looking specifically for interior offensive linemen in general because you have almost a backlog at this point of guys that yeah. you really need to prove some theories on. Yeah, versatility, whoever can step up, whoever can own one of those roles, I think is going to be really important. And I'm sure Ryan Wendell and whoever else is a part of that offensive line staff is going to be very much on top of that. So I'm curious. I know we haven't had a ton of news so far on Alan Robinson. He requested uh, his his permission to uh, to go seek a trade. 
So are we getting potentially closer to a Matt Corral and a seventh round pick for Allen Robinson? Like, what is the status with him? Because I haven't heard anything recently. You know, I don't think that Matt Corral is an option for the Rams. Um, but I do think that you're looking, they are looking at overhauling some of their backup quarterback uh, methods <laughs> to say. Um, they certainly, I think, need to turn a closer look inward on how they're developing that position as well, in my opinion. And so that's, that's someone where you could see that in the draft. You could see them, um, you know, cap casualties or um, competition cuts that you start to see after the draft as well if guys get edged out of, of their role. And so for that reason, generally speaking, like the idea of Matt Corral does qualify for that type of thing that the Rams would be looking for. I don't know that he specifically is a fit for them, but in terms of that sort of idea, like definitely on the right track there. Um, you know, I haven't heard much on Allen Robinson yet. They could surprise me, but as I sort of mentioned earlier, when this was all sort of unfolding, um, you know, the Rams weren't super shy about broadcasting their willingness to trade him. And a lot of times that means that other teams are going to maybe wait to see if you cut the player. Yeah. And so this wouldn't work with Allen based on the amount of dead money that they would incur. 15 million is guaranteed to him this year. And the Rams were willing to eat some of that salary by making that sort of obvious. Teams now, I think, are sort of playing the waiting game with them. This could always happen later in the year. You don't know. Sure. These the, the free agency market for receivers is super weird this year. So um, it could always be something. He, it could be a package deal. Um, teams have called on you know certain players um, on their offense that um, you know I don't think as of now the Rams are necessarily willing to trade, but. Um, you could see this down the road that maybe a package deal or something like that. Um, but really what I would think um, fans would want is for the Rams to also take a look inward and see how they can set Allen up for success as well. Because I don't think, you know, I do think it took him a minute to get his legs under him on the field. But at the same time, based on what I saw in training camp versus what did not happen during the season, I think that a self-scout on their side is sort of needed in terms of how you're maximizing what a player can do instead of putting him in a box of things that he can't do um, just because that's the box that you have open. So yeah. I think that that's going to be really important. I think setting him up in more high, probab high probability opportunities, I'd like to see him move inside, work underneath on early reads. Those are, those are areas where, especially in that Carolina game, you started seeing him really start to catch fires when you got him going in that regard as a big friendly target in the middle of the field. And yes, that's Cooper Cup's dominant area, but Cooper Cup can play any position at yeah. this point and yeah. he can play it at an elite level. So if you do have pieces that you need to maximize through your entire roster, that's a lesson I think that Sean McVay learned the hard way last year is how do you, even when you know that you know the you know what is against the wall. Um, how do you maximize the pieces you do have? How do you set players up for success instead of sticking to a plan just because it was the plan? So that's what I'd like to see for Allen if they do keep him. Um, you know, I joke with people in the building like, oh, make him a tight end. Not for real, but like in theory, give sure. him tight end concepts, those types of things. Frankly, I don't think that's really a joke anymore on my end. Like I could actually see it. Like I'm not talking a position switch, but in terms of conceptually how they play that, that, pass catching tight end role. I don't see anything wrong with that in terms of his skill sets when they get into the red zone. Yeah, no, I entirely agree. No, I think it's going to be really interesting. And the only reason I asked the question was considering the cap, 
right? Because you had reported earlier today that they have about 8.4 million in 2023 cap space. They're going to need anywhere from seven to 10 million to sign the draft class. So does that take into consideration, are they going to need more money throughout the season to be able to eventually play with? And it, it brings up a really interesting conversation about the tight end position in general too, because I, I saw that when you were putting together your mock draft, you had the Rams mock to take two tight ends. So with the addition of Hunter Long, with Allen Robinson potentially converting some of his routes into a tight end stereotype, maybe, or whatever. We hope. We hope. Whatever, we hope. They don't, I don't know if they actually listen to me, but I do think it's a good idea. So. <laughs> I think it's a really good idea. I do. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, though, about the tight end position because it's so, so deep in the draft. Tyler Higby is one of those players. I think if you released him before that June 1st date, you'd save about $3.9 million, $4 million. Um, so I'm curious if you've heard any rumblings about him because he's one of the guys on my list that I feel like could be a potential cut. Yeah, I think um, you're looking at three players who are like, quote unquote, safe right now. And yeah. none of the rest really are, frankly. And I think um, that's just the nature of what 2023 is. And, and I would also go so far as to say, you know, it doesn't it doesn't also guarantee that like through the entirety of 2023, that those players are still intact. You know what I mean? Like this is a very fluid year. It's a setup year for what they want to do in 2024. So you really have to think all options are on the table. And what, what I think now where they're at is can this player maximize for you on the field? Is that worth more to you right now than that money would be? And where else could it come from? Um, they, other than Joe Noteboom's restructure, they haven't really touched a lot of these contracts yet. And Matthew Stafford just got a, a crap load of money guaranteed. Um, Mar- today is March 17th. I guess we still have like till one o'clock before that's official. But today is March 17th. So his 2023 and 2024 salaries have become fully guaranteed. Some of it's back pay. Um, and so it, for bonuses, things like that, it's just a whole this. It's like a beautiful mind cap stuff. <laughs> Tony Pastors, I don't understand how his brain works, but um <laughs> Yeah, so it, it, it is complicated, but you can still get into that contract. There's some things, some auto restructures they have built into some of their other deals you can get into. So you can free up more money as needed. There probably will still be some, some cap casualties coming. Um, and, and so to me, it's like, you know, Sean McVay has considered Tyler Higby to be among sort of that core of guys who he believes in, has kept around, has really sort of stood on the table for. Well, at, at a certain point, especially depending on, you know, how their draft board falls um, at a certain point, do you think that that player can produce enough to sort of be worth this a little bit more of the strain on the cap? So that's sort of the, the Venn diagram or sliding scale that they're working with with a, with a lot of their players, not just Tyler. Yeah, sure. I can imagine it's a sliding scale with Tyler, with with Noteboom, with whomever else it may be that's on that kind of second tier below the top three. And, you know, you're always kind of curious to see who's next on the chopping block, right? Because if they are going to carry some money into the season, you're thinking about ways that they could potentially do it. And considering the draft, how great it is, are they kind of giving themselves another year to try and reevaluate the tight end position and maybe prioritize some of the other positions that are greater of need across the field? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because I do think, I mean, they do have a lot of needs and, and they really are going to be looking at overhauling a bunch of their depth. Sure. I thought what was really interesting is, um, and seeing, you know, Chase Blackburn in Indianapolis and then because one thing, by the way, I will bring this up now. So the Rams, the Rams head brass. No, they do not go to Indianapolis. They get all of the information sent to them, all the prospect data. Their whole medical staff goes. Some of the assistant coaches go. Some of the scouting department goes. 
some of the front office goes, but you don't hear about it because they move quietly. So for me, it's like prime lurking hours to try to go and like, you know, dig and, and see what's up and all this stuff. But the big like Sean and Les aren't there. So it's like the chaos isn't around because those guys draw a crowd everywhere they yeah, go. So the chaos isn't following them. So it's actually like I'm selfish. It's like a win win for me because I'm like, oh, this is great. So you can actually talk to people without all of the mess around yeah, them. Of course. So um, so anyway, so in talking to Chase in India and then watching his interview that he did with uh, the, the Rams in-house media team, uh, JB Long and Stu Jackson, Talking about UDFAs as being big contributors to special teams, I think that's interesting because that tells me that they're not necessarily looking at drafting positions for special teams. Under the previous coordinators, they had drafted specific players with special teams front of mind. Mm. Um, And to me, that shows that they're trying to now maximize probably athletic traits and matchable traits to scheme and matchable traits to their coaching and development process all the way down, all the way through. And like, yes, you know, you could see them drafting like a kicker in the seventh round, but I'm talking about these, like these core special teamers. They're talking, he's talking about the UDFA class being a huge part of that. In the past, you had Joe DiCamillis, you know, Bonamigo, Fossil, you had them literally sitting there in that draft house. I'm sitting right next to him in that draft house. He's got the list. He's got his list of like who they're, who they're going to go after. And, and it's on paper, of course, because, you know, not millennials. And are, so are they, like, uh, are they doing the draft house again this year? I think they are. And so no. I'm looking forward to that. I mean, it's wild after a five and 12 season to do that. But whatever, like I'm not going <laughs> to yuck anyone's yum. Right? I was but thinking like, you go back to your roots, go back to the original building where you had your 2014 draft. And yeah, the bunker. Home. Yeah, the little underground. <laughs> yeah. So but hey, I mean, like that's it. You know, they kind of I think they did really well last year on that draft. So maybe that's the strategy yeah. is just like just get toasted the first day and then, you know, do everything the second day. But no, it's tongue in cheek, guys. Nobody like no, seriously on that. No, but, I, um, <laughs> it makes me think about, though, guys like Sam Sloman, guys like Jacob Harris. Oh, like, man. Are we going to have a repeat of that? The Sam Sloman draft was a disaster. The evaluation was a disaster. I'm not ready to tell that story yet, but Did at McVay some point- just go to his alma mater and say, hey, I like this kid. Like what happened? Well, he's a great kid. That's the thing. Um, but at a certain point, because we're going to be doing another kicker carousel probably this year. I yeah. mean, you hope not, right? But you're going to be looking at the ways that they've scouted um, in the past versus how they are doing their methods now. And and like I said, like, I, I think that there's some really modernized approaches to what they're going to be doing um, on special teams. And, and that's part of the reason why they kept Jeremy Springer around. And that's certainly a reason why they loved um, Chase Blackburn. And it's not to say that Joe wasn't, Joe was a great special teams coach, but at a certain point, I think they just were looking at shifting some of the methods and some of the things that um, they were going to be looking at. And, and it, it, you know, that's still that, that staff departure was still a surprise to me personally, um, just because, you know, his reputation precedes him. But at the same time, you know, getting just different ideas and, and bringing in different stuff like that seemed to be something that Sean was really pushing for at the end of uh, last season. So back, back to your question, like, I do think that this means that they're looking at filling a lot of different positions, not just of need, but trying to do, go best player available where it intersects with need. Um, and they've got a lot of places open where it's not just guys who are going to come in and be expected to play early in their career. It's also overhauling some of their depth as well, because, you know, you, you are not just drafting right now for 
2023 and 2024, you're drafting for through 2026. So yeah. you really, and, and, and those players need to be contributors or key rotational depth. So I think that that's all really interesting, especially when you look at how much younger they want to get on defense. Um, that, that to me is really, really interesting um, and shows me that combined with Chase's comments sort of show me what they might be looking for in terms of, yeah, go find a bunch of really talented UDFA players and, you know, really coach them up on special teams and do what you can and um, hope that some of those guys do develop into depth. Nick Scott or, you know, some of these guys we've seen in the past. Um, but then also, you know, maximize every pick you can um, at a position where you know that that those players probably have to contribute for you. And that's why they need to nail this draft. I'm glad you brought up Nick Scott. And yes, I agree with you that it's a very important draft to nail because Nick Scott kind of fits the example, right? Mm -hmm. It's a late round pick. I think he was a seventh round pick from Penn State. He filled the special teams early, just earned another performance incentive based contract or whatever it was, dollars from the NFL for players that are undrafted or seventh rounders that can make additional sources of income. So really interesting, just a player that I've loved to follow. So Nick Scott and Taylor Rapp, were reportedly yesterday both potentially going to Cincinnati, wrap maybe to New England. Ships in the wind. Yeah. They Ships literally it was like wind. one two. Yeah. Nick was yeah. there. Uh Nick was there yes uh yesterday. Taylor's there today. Today's Friday. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I heard people uh comparing Taylor Rapp to Devin McCourty yesterday. So oh. I was a little bit, I was like, okay, maybe we'll uh we'll try to dig a little bit deeper into Taylor Rapp and what he has to offer. But I'm I'm curious if you've heard anything about official signings for Nick Scott and Taylor Rapp and assuming the Rams had contract conversations with them, but allowed them to seek the open market. Well, they, they had preliminary talks with Nick for sure. I do know that. I'm not sure if they did with Taylor, but um, they don't usually retain safety. So like for them to talk to Nick, to me was a sign of like, we talked a lot last year about the Rams missing culture players, like, you know, Whitworth retires and they trade Robert Woods yep. and Kevin O'Connell is gone and all this stuff. And so like, um, Nick Scott is a culture signing too. Like he can play, but he also is someone who just is a really, really great leader and someone who really balances sort of levity with um, doing your job the right way and just really being like someone people respect. So that part doesn't surprise me, but the deal would be really low if the Rams were going to bring him back. And I'm not even, I'm not even sure if they would look at like a multi-year for him um, just because, again, they do not invest in the position. So we'll see how that goes. The Bengals, I mean, we're recording this. This is like what, you know, mid-morning on a Friday, right? So things could change by the time you guys sure. listen to this podcast. But they are in negotiation. He is in negotiations with the Bengals. I don't know. I don't have an update on Taylor's situation yet. Visiting probably means that you are at least talking numbers in, sure. in some regard. Um, and to me, it would be really interesting if they sign both because they're teammates and they're really good friends. But you just never know how these things shake out. They have talked numbers with Nick, but at the same time, nothing is official until it's done. And free agency, especially with the safety market, what it is, it's going to be so fluid um, and, and changing all the time. So we'll see how that shakes out. I do know the Rams would like to have him back, but again, it's it would not be anywhere close to what his actual market would be. Um, we'll just kind of see how it goes from here for sure. Yeah, I don't think they paid any safety since they gave uh, Lamarcus Joyner the franchise tag, which is technically <laughs> not a it's not and a also never tag. franchise tag. Yeah, never right. use yeah. it, never do it, they guys, never, never do it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so interesting. I mean, you look at the dynamics between the Cincinnati Bengals, for example, and the Rams. 
they're going to potentially pay two safeties. We're not going to even offer out any money to pay one safety. And I think that's obviously due to the way that the cap is structured and all the other contracts they have in the books. I'm just really interested. Well, they're to not see paying their quarterback two. yet, you know? Yeah. Like they're not. Yeah. So th- this exactly. Stafford contract, if you guys go to use over the cap, by the way, because all yes. the teams, all the teams use over the cap. Um, and some, a lot of them file their contracts over directly with over the cap. And if you look at the way, I mean, it's crazy. Those three contracts at the top and then everything else. Yes, and in the past, they exactly. And, and in the past, the Rams, the cash over cap stuff that I alluded to earlier, you know, they've been able to keep those numbers really minimal because of the cash that they would spend on the front side, knowing that on the back side, you do pay that back at some point, but also right. the cap goes up. So you have more spending autonomy, those types of things. So it's like, it's it, it, to me, it's a very smart way of, of doing it, especially if you, um, you know, have a quarterback on a big multi-year and then at least two other core players on big multi-years. It's, it's the way that you can continue to acquire and retain talent if you are in contention, if it's worth it at that point to do it. And right now, I think everything the Rams are saying and doing show you that this is all a setup year for what they are going to be able to do in 2024. Yeah, yeah. Third most in dead money. I think they're up to fifty-eight million this yeah, year in dead money so far. I'm like, wow. Well, that's also like when we talk about getting rid of, of Tyler Higby or whoever else it may be. Like that's you're adding to that dead money number in 2023. Of course, mm-hmm. you're getting the contract off the books for 24, but it's still, you know, an interesting dynamic. So between the defense, obviously we've lost Jalen Ramsey to Miami, Leonard Floyd, Bobby Wagner, Nick Scott. Those are four defensive starters for this team, and additionally, it looks like Taylor Rapp. Um, Ashawn Robinson, Greg Gaines, maybe Troy Hill, maybe Greg Gaines, Marquise Copeland, maybe could resign him to a cheap deal. Uh, they could all be joining, right? So that's potentially nine, 10 starters on the defensive side of the ball. I pulled this clip from PFF. I just want to just kind of give us a, a look at the lineup real quick. I know we're blanking out each other's faces, but this is what I'm seeing from the top level down. So Fuller and Lake on the back end, Ernest Jones and Gervais, and this is assuming they're in a nickel defense. Uh, in the middle, and then you have Rochelle, Durant, Kendrick as your uh, your corners. Durant on the inside, potentially, if Rochelle can prove that he can play on the outside. Uh, Michael Hoyt, Jonah Williams, Aaron Donald, and Keir Thomas. Jordan, I'm going to lose my mind. What's going on with this defense? Well, swap Keir with Daniel Hardy, probably, because yeah. you're going to do um, a speed-power combo, I would imagine. Um, yeah, a and, little uh, Von Miller oboe combo. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that signing for Cleveland, by the way. Same. Miles across from Miles Garrett. Anyway, I digress. Yeah. But yeah, um, it's not looking great so far. <laughs> um, but but this is the thing is is we've got a lot of time here before yeah. football is actually played, and and I do expect them to address some of these areas in the draft. I expect them to address address interior defensive line. They will need to figure out, you know, life around Aaron Donald in the short term and life after Aaron Donald after 2024. That's the last year on his deal. And so I think like when you have a guy like Michael Hoyt, like that's a diamond in the rough situation, but like we don't know what his ceiling is, first of all. And so in the short term, you sort of imagine that like at, at his max capacity with a full roster as it's intended to be built, he's in a rotational role with another outside linebacker defensive end sort of hybrid guy. And that's it. Eventually what the vision is. I mean, this is not a team that's going to be without two premier pass rushers for very long. We saw what a disaster it was last year when they were without and tried so hard to get and could not and did not. 
and then were without two premier pass rushers last year. We've also seen how incredible this defense is with two pass rushers. Even like even you know it, it, in a rotation uh, playing above average, we've seen yeah. that it's it can be really great. And so I think that that you know you're not going to see this for long, but in the short term, you really are going to learn a lot about some of these guys. Um, it is interesting, you know. I, I think Ernest Jones for sure is ready to take that step forward. Um, he is going to be a bright spot. Jordan Fuller is going to be a bright spot. Either one of them can call this defense. Um, so I'm interested to see how that plan ultimately shakes out. And, you know, you're going to have a lot of prove it players. Um, I need to see more from Darion Kendrick. I need to see more from Robert Rochelle. The coaching staff feels the same and, and also, but like the, the tools and some of the, the raw skill is there. It's just honing and developing. It's a big reason why they brought Aubrey, Aubrey Pleasant and really pushed to bring him back into the mix. Um, like if you were going to call him like a coaching free agent, I would say he was in high demand. And yeah. so the Rams pushing to bring him back, that's important because they know how he develops young players. Um, and then Raheem Morris, like, you know, not to like shamelessly plug the story that I wrote about Sean McVay and what happened to the Rams last year. But like, if you go back and you read that, you really can see how thin Raheem Morris actually was stretched so if you're being the head coach and the DC at the same time, but it's not your job to be the head coach, but all these players are coming to you and you're plugging all these leaks everywhere, like emotionally and all this stuff. And then you're also, you know, like trying to plan a defense that's missing personnel that's rotating through injured defensive backs left and right. That doesn't have a second pass rusher. Like you're stretched pretty thin. So I am interested and curious to see, how he sort of returns to his roots as well and really hones in on that player development because that's what he loves to do. And that's what he's very good at is that player development. That's what the Rams really, really need next year is the take a step forward and not get lost in the shuffle and not fall through the cracks, so to speak. Yeah. Between Raheem and Aubrey, it seems like they have the staff in terms of experience developed on the defensive side of the ball and on the offensive side of the ball, they want to invest in personnel. Mm -hmm. Right, So you want to be able to try and score a ton of points on the offensive side of the ball, develop some of these young players. I remember, Jordan, I think we had our first conversation when Robert Rochelle's RIS score came out. And we were talking <laughs> about comparables between him and Jalen Ramsey. And I'm thinking to myself, this kid's the next Jalen Ramsey. I have no problem moving on from him in a couple of years. But the development that needs to come within that process, whether it's on special teams, which you felt like he can't even play, or it's on the outside. Like, I'm very, really curious to see how expedited that process happens because you do have the experience on the coaching staff now with the addition of Pleasant. And Raheem could have been the head coach of this team, mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, there's there's that angle of it. If, if Sean would have went away, it would have been Raheem Morris's team, and he would have really kind of had to take the charge and, and lead the charge with development. So it's going to be such an interesting season. And Jordan, you've done such an incredible job of keeping us all updated. We are greatly, greatly appreciative of you covering the Rams and everything that you do on Twitter. And it's just all around, your writing is absolutely fantastic. So we're just greatly appreciative to have you on board. And it's going to be a fun season. I hope you stick around because in 2025, we're all going to Mexico. <laughs> I know. We're well, going to like need to charter like planes for the entire fan yeah. base after what the roller coaster they've been on. And also I, I will say too, what a great fan base. I love this fan base. I love interacting. Like I always worry because like Twitter, if I use like one too many periods, people think that I'm like, whoa, being aggressive. And that's not actually the case. I really, really love how engaging this fan base is and the back and forth. I love when you guys ask me questions. I don't always know the answer, but I will try to find it for you. And 
one thing to keep in mind, <laughs> Twitter people, is <laughs> this is not my plan. I did not create this plan. This is not my plan. I'm just telling you what their plan is. Yes. That's all. Okay? Disclaimer, Jordan this is not, not negotiating plan. trades. <laughs> jot it down in your notebook, highlight it, whatever you have to do. So funny. Yeah. And I appreciate you guys. You guys do such a great job. Rams bros. I love following along. You guys always have good insight, good takes, always rational. You know, there's a lot of roller coaster going on with this team. You guys we are try always to, we try to leave all the emotion and all the irrationalities to the podcast. And I try to be as logical as I can be on Twitter <laughs> because you never know what kind of angle you're going to get punched at. So exactly, oh, it's, it's fun. Thank you so, so much for joining. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. I hope you enjoy your St. Patty's day and feel better. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'll see you next time. We're on of a streak course. now. We keep this going. Yeah, let's keep a streak. Yeah, merch <laughs> is on the way. Don't worry. I love Thanks, it. Jordan. Take, Take care. care. Bye. For those who are still here, thank you for listening. Um, we have our Bet Online ad read real quick. Bet Online live betting free contest giveaways all season long. It's always the fastest, always the easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports and events, whether that's NBA, NFL. NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf, head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, it's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your awards. Bet online, where the games begin. And let me flash this for you guys real quick. Bet online down here. Make sure to get on to betonline.ag and type in the promo code. And additionally, last but not least, make sure you guys... Like and subscribe. More where this came from, more interviews, more daily news, always up to date on Twitter, always up to date on socials. Make sure to like and subscribe, join the movement. And we love you guys. Thanks for listening. Peace. Go Rams.